Great to be here. Steve said I came from a little rural town. Um, I was born on a farm in Zambia. We moved to South Africa and uh, then ended up in that little rural town that uh, Steve was talking about. Now I'm in another little rural town called Denver. And uh, when I got on the airplane to come here, I was saying to Sandy, babe, maybe it's time for us to move to Wyoming or Montana. Colorado's getting a bit crowded for me these days. So her response was, you're just tired, baby. <laughs> That's her response to almost anything I tell her. You're just tired, baby. But uh, I, do, I do love the city. Uh, I love this city and I love this church. Uh, but I am a country boy at heart. And so hopefully you city folks can have some grace if some country illustrations come out. I told the leadership team over the weekend, I listen to country music because I'm a Christian. And uh, it, is, uh, it is the only form of music that I can be driving down the road and just bust out laughing. You know, they, uh, you know I, I try to encourage preachers to listen to country music. Because the ability to tell a story that can make you laugh or cry in three minutes is a gift that everybody in the church wish their preacher had, right? So, if you know what's good for you, you'll be praying that your preachers all start listening to country music. So, uh, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Sounds like a country song, because it is. Turn within your Bibles to Ephesians, please. <laughs> Deborah, stop it. Deborah's naughty. Can I just tell you now? If she gets, if she gets naughty and distracts me, we're going to kick her out. Okay, the book of Ephesians. Yeah, I, I, I came this weekend prepared to preach something and uh, stayed up too late last night watching the fights and uh, got up this morning and as I was sitting downstairs in, uh, in Matt and Sheetal's basement, I felt God speak to me about something else. So um, and then I felt confirmation of it in the worship, some of the songs that were sung, and, and also Sheetal's words. So I'm just going to go off what I sense God is wanting to do this morning, and we have to trust Him for the difference. Is that okay? It's not going to be all nice and neatly packaged. <laughs> that anything I ever do is, but just thought I'd chuck that out as an excuse anyway. So, okay, if you haven't found Ephesians by now, stop looking. You never will. Okay, Ephesians, can I be down here for a minute? You know, I, I preached in Australia once, and, and they, they, they said this is going to be televised, and so they gave me a little block on the stage that was, it was probably some other kind of fancy tape, but I thought it was duct tape. But anyway, so they got this little square that they duct tape on the floor, and they tell me you can't step out of that square. Oh, good luck. <laughs> Cameraman's going to get a workout. Okay, Ephesians 1. Paul, an apostle simply identifies who the author of Ephesians is. I'll, I'll just take careful note, it's an apostle, not the apostle. And also take careful note, it's not capitalized, it's not a title. It's just telling us who the author is and what it is that God's called him to. It's a simple thing, it's not a fancy title. Uh, in our day, people think apostles are some kind of high and mighty, and the Bible doesn't bear that out. The Bible says, first of all, not overall. It's just first of all, 
And that's simply, again, a reflection of the giftedness that they're supposed to do. Apostles and prophets lay foundations. So first of all, before you're going to build a building, first of all, you need a foundation. So it's not above all, it's just first of all. It's a primary gift. It's an initial gift into the life of a church or a nation. And he says, of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, I love that. Just that we need to be secure in who God's called us to be, by the will of God. Not wrestling and trying to find our way through and trying to fight and elbow and trying to be something that God hasn't asked us to be. We had a great time away at the leadership weekend and the Holy Spirit really ministered and Sandy said something to me on Friday night back in the room and she wasn't trying to be mean or trying to correct me, but she just said something and I just said, babe, if they wanted smooth and polished, they would have asked somebody else. I can't be who God hasn't asked me to be. And that's true of each of you. We've got to be relaxed in that and secure in that and hopefully that's where we're going to get to in a minute. By the will of God, to the saints... Mentioned four times in this book, to the saints, not the spiritual elite, not dead Christians, just ordinary believers. Every person in the life of the church in Ephesus was supposed to read this book and respond to it. Every believer in this building and in the building that we meet to when we read this thing has to have a response to it. To the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. 27 times alone in Ephesians, that phrase is used, in Christ Jesus. 27 times in this short book, six chapters, 27 times in Christ Jesus. See, that should be our place. That should be our identity. Our identity is in Christ Jesus. My security is in Christ Jesus. My future is in Christ Jesus. My children are in Christ Jesus. Jesus. My, my, my boy's had something of a little spiritual revival. He's 16 years old and he's preached twice for us now on a, on a Sunday morning. And it's interesting because I used to tell my kids, you know, God, God doesn't have any grandkids. You're not a Christian because I'm a Christian. And so I, I, I just was, thought it was a helpful thing to try and explain it to them. And then he gets up and he preaches and he says, you know, it used to shake me to my core. When my dad used to say, I'm not a Christian because he's a Christian, because that's what I thought. God's got no grandchildren, bud. You're going to have to find your own relationship with God. I think that happens fairly early. I think that happens about 13 or 14. I always tell my kids, listen, you can blame me for all your stuff until you're about 13 or 14. (laughs) Then you're on your own. (laughs) Then you've got to find... Christ, you've got to walk in a relationship with God and try and find healing and wholeness in Christ Jesus. Are you doing okay? I, I, I try and be a good dad. I love my, all my kids. I try and be a good dad, but I, I get this, that I'm a frail, fallible, fallen human being that's trying to do my best as a father. And about all that I can hope for is that I am an imperfect father in partnership with a perfect father. So that's the point of that conversation. God's got no grandkids. You are going to have to find a relationship with your perfect heavenly father. In Christ Jesus. Now I know, I know it's early on, but, I, but I'm telling you now, friends, this nation has to find its identity again in Christ Jesus. 
in Christ Jesus. That should be our position. That should be our eternal position in Christ Jesus. You doing okay? Goes on to say, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, praise be to God. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, pleasure which He purposed in Christ put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In Him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of His glory. And you also were included in Christ, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. What a rich little portion of scripture. And it's only really the introduction to this, uh, this book of Ephesians. And so... I, I am convinced of this, that I think God wants us to have a robust faith. I think God wants us to develop a faith that works not just between 10 and 12 on a Sunday morning, but it works in the boardroom, it works in the classroom, and it works wherever we find ourselves. It works for our family, works for wherever we find ourselves, this robust faith that can stand up, that is not shaken, that is not, we're not easily put off, we're not easily talked out of, we're not easily rattled, because by faith we understand we are in Christ Jesus. And that's an eternal settled position. The Bible tells us that Jesus right now is seated at the right hand of the Father. I get in trouble for some of these things that I say. You know, Jesus, Jesus lives in my heart is good Sunday school theology, but Scripture doesn't bear that out. Scripture says Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And Jesus is not in me. The Holy Spirit is in me, which we're going to get to in a minute. I'm in Christ, which is He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Listen, that competition is over. Right? Cubs win. Yeah? I was hoping you were going to win, just knowing I was coming here this week. <laughs> but, but, but you see, here's the point, right? Cubs win. So, so, so you are the World Series champions, yeah? Until somebody else wins it, 
I just want to say, there wasn't much faith in that announcement. I'm just telling you now. Until somebody else wins it, the World Series is settled. The Cubs are not still competing. Right? If the Indians, I don't know a whole lot about baseball. It was Indians, right? If the Indians go, ah, you know what, we think we could win it. How about we make it best of nine? The Cubs are going to go, nah, get out of here. We win. It's settled. Game seven, it's settled. It is settled that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's not still competing for that place. It is settled. It is complete. There's no more competition. And that's where we find ourselves, in Christ. It's amazing for me. That we were included in Christ. Just remind me again. 20 minutes, okay. It's amazing to me. The scripture that says that you were included in Christ. When you heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. See the beauty of the gospel is this. That there's not a single thing I can do to earn it. There's not a single thing I can do to earn the gospel. There's not a single thing that I can do to earn the grace of God. If I could, it wouldn't be grace. There's not a single thing. And there's not a single thing that I can do to add to it. When Jesus is on the cross and he says these incredible words, it is finished. A more accurate translation is that it is completely complete. There's nothing to be added to our salvation. There is nothing to be added to the cross. It is done. And that's where I find myself. This incredible story of grace. That each and every single one of us created in the image of God. Created to have perfect fellowship with this perfect father that we spoke about a minute ago. That's what we were created for. And that's where we were in the garden. But because of our sin in the garden, that relationship is broken and the image of God in us is tarnished and twisted, but it is not destroyed. That the Father, who is described as love, God is love. Do you understand that's different from saying God is loving? God is love. This God that is love in the greatest act of sacrificial love ever expressed in humanity sent His only Son to go to a sinner's cross in sinless Perfection. For us. That we could be returned to that perfect relationship with God. It really is too wonderful to comprehend. It really is. The amazing thing is this. And and it's evidenced in Scripture. And I want to tell you, it's evidenced in our lives. And we need to hold on to this for unsaved friends and family. That while 
we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Scripture says this, Jesus hanging on the cross, and while they are stabbing him and poking him and, and screaming at him and abusing him, the words that come out of his mouth is this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There's no contract. There's no negotiation. This is covenant, the forgiveness of God, paid for and settled by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, our sin is great because it is against the great God. I can have a little sin, but because it is committed against the great God, it is a great sin. The sin is a is a, the, the the measure of the sin is not is not defined by the sin. The measure of the sin is defined by the measure of God. And this is, this is too wonderful for me. I said to the leaders yesterday, the, the, the gospel to me is still an incredible thing. I've walked with the Lord for 25 years now, and I woke up again this morning just thinking, God, where am I? And besides for that spiritual position of in Christ, I, I, I want to tell you this. You know, I, I read that thing of Paul, and, and he, what he says were his religious qualifications a Jew of Jew, Hebrew of Hebrew, studied here, did all of that. <clears throat> he lands it in the humility of saying, I count all of those things as rubbish. Let me tell you, if I wrote my qualifications, I would be the most disqualified. That would be my qualification. Where am I? Born on a farm in Zambia. On the farm, not in a hospital, on the farm. Lived in South Africa. Left home when I was 14 years old because of the relationship that I had with my father. My 15th birthday in an underground pub in Salzburg, Austria. Drunk out of my mind. Came back to South Africa. Joined the army at 16. Out when I was 22. Those years between 15 and 22, 15 and 25, the darkest years of my life. I loved my son. I wasn't an unhappy sinner. I was making money, living the life. Who, who's that comedian that was a puppet? What's his name? He does that skit, you know. He's like, yeah, yeah. He does the skit and he goes, uh, so he asks the, the, the guy, you know, this bit of a redneck guy. He's like, what, what are you doing? Watching NASCAR and drinking beer. And he goes, is that your favorite sport? And he goes, uh-huh, NASCAR is too. <laughs> I was racing bikes and drinking beer. I loved my son. wasn't unhappy. Uh, and I was good at it. I could make money off sin. We're just going to leave that where it is, right? But, <laughs> but it's in that place. That the love of God was poured out of my life. Honestly, the love of God. I wasn't looking for God. He was looking for me. I wasn't seeking Christ. He was seeking me. <clears throat> so the Bible tells us the goodness of God and the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And when we were hanging with our unsaved friends, we don't need to be pointing to their sin. We need to be pointing them to the love of Christ. 
<coughs> Sorry, my voice is shot from two days of preaching. The goodness of God and the kindness of God. People always tell me, I, I, I grew up on the wrong side of the track. You can even see the wrong side of the track from where I grew up. That was, a lot, that was over the hill. But God pours out His love. God comes looking for us. It's God's initiation. We've got to get out of this thing that is my initiation. Somehow I have to find myself back to God. Paul and Jesus reserved their strongest words for those that would put something, anything, any little thing. They would put anything between people and Jesus, between people and rescue, between people and salvation. Jesus and Paul reserved their strongest words for those people. And we don't have time to go there, but you go and look at Philippians 3, and Paul says this, watch out for those dogs, those mutilators of the flesh. And what he's referring to is the book of Acts, right? The first seven chapters of the book of Acts, Jews getting saved. In Acts chapter 10, Paul speaks to Cornelius, and off he goes to the Gentiles. And by Acts 15, there's this debate, there's this argument, there's this fight in the church about this. How can these guys be getting saved? How can Gentiles be getting saved? And if you go and read it, it actually says this, they must be circumcised first. What is the fight about? The fight is about this. You cannot come from where you are to Jesus. You Gentiles, you have to convert to Judaism first. You Gentiles, you have to convert. You have to become a Jew first and be circumcised. Then we can lead you to Christ. And Paul says, watch out for those dogs. Let me tell you, those days, dogs weren't little cute, cuddly things that we spend $15 billion on a year in America. Dogs were vicious. They ran in packs. They would bite you and they would give you disease. It was about, the commentators tell us, the strongest language Paul could use. Watch out for those filthy, stinking, rabid, disease-carrying people that would put something between you and Jesus. <clears throat> I illustrated it like this at my church. I got this, this kid that played rugby for me, but he also played, he was also a linebacker in, uh, and I'll say he's a kid, I mean he's 16 now, but he's, you know. And so we did, we did this illustration. And so I said to him, Max, what, what, I, what I want you to do, I want you to keep me. And he's a linebacker, so he's used to all this stuff. I said, I, I, I want you to keep me from getting to this other guy. And so I did this thing, and I had this guy stand up here that represented Jesus. And I said, okay, now this is anything that will come between us and Christ. And I'd prep this kid. I want you to stop me from getting to Jesus. And I did my absolute best. I wonder what those things are in our culture. I wonder what those things are in our churches. I wonder what those things are in our heart.
that we just put those things in front of Jesus. I had a little bit of that when I got saved. I got saved and I was, I was got saved out of the whole motorcycle world and, and all of that. And so I, I had a, my leather jacket with the bunny jacket and the patch and all, all the rest of it. And when I got saved, if I rode my motorcycle, I put on my motorcycling kit. I was fully saved. And I was a jeans and t-shirt guy. And so I went to church in jeans and t-shirt. And I had this pastor. It wasn't my pastor, but he was a pastor. And, and, you know, he would say this to me. He would say, I, I'd, I'd show up dressed, and he would be like, talk me through your outfit. But I just got out the army. I'm a bachelor. I put on what's clean. That's the outfit. And then he would say, and then he would say, no joke. He would say this to me. He'd say, I mean, I've only just started having somebody else cut my hair for the last 30 years. I just buzzed my own head. And so I'd, I, that's what I was doing. And so he would be, talk me through your haircut. I told the guys a story yesterday about, uh, about this guy that invited his friend He'd been inviting his friend for months to come to church. A friend of mine in Houston. Inviting his friend for months to come to church. And eventually this guy came, responded to the gospel. First time in church, responded as they threw out the net. First time. But he's one of those guys that's sleeved with tattoos. And so the pastor came up to him afterwards and he said, Great man, so fantastic. Loved you, responded to the gospel. Best decision of your life. We're so happy to have you out. Raving. And he said, but when you come back next week, would you mind wearing a long sleeve shirt? Never saw him again. What are the barriers? What are those things that Paul would say, you dog, for putting that on somebody? We want to see people swept into the kingdom. And we want to see people land in Christ. We better be ready to remove all the barriers. All the barriers. All the barriers. You need to go read Jesus. I mean, Jesus. John 4. The story about Jesus. Stop it, Deborah. We need to go read Jesus. That would be good, huh? That would be a good book to read. John 4. John 4, with, with Jesus, with a woman at the well. He removes every barrier, every argument she tries to put up. I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew. Culture, race, every barrier. Jesus systematically undoes it, undoes it, undoes it. Are you trying to say your our, you are greater than our father Abraham. Every religious bit of rubbish, Jesus systematically undoes. Until this woman comes to the place of saying, I believe you're a prophet. I believe you are the Messiah. We've got to find those ways to undo those things. Race and culture. 
only way that we represent biblical community in our community. Otherwise, we're representing something short of what Christ wanted us to represent. There should be no qualification. There should be no pre-qualification. Every race, every culture, every socioeconomic group, every political party equal at the foot of the cross. In Christ. Doing okay? I tell our church all the time, we've got some work to do in here if we think we've got a message for those people out there. We've got to get some stuff right in here before we think we can tell people out there. Before we think we've got a demonstration or a witness out there, we've got some business to do in here. Let me try to land this thing. Here's the thing with this text. We'll try and land. The thing that I love about this short text, it shows us that the full weight, might, person, and personality of the Godhead is involved in our salvation. Okay? I'm just going to read it through because we don't have time. And then we're going to pray. Okay, God the Father. God the Father involved in our salvation. Chapter 1, verse 4. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world. He has chosen us in Christ. He has chosen us in Christ. He's chosen us for purpose. Verse 5 tells us this, that He has adopted us. The Father has adopted us. Let me tell you, the, the, the doctrine of adoption is an incredible doctrine to study. You know, in, 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 in Bible times, adoption was more secure than natural birth. That if your natural son messed you around, you could put him out. But if you had adopted a child, there was no legal way for you to put that child back out of your family. There was a way to get rid of your natural kids. There was no way to get rid of an adopted child. It's an incredible thing. Legally, there was no way to break adoption. It's a beautiful thing. We adopted two kids along the way. People ask me which two. Mostly I just say I can't remember. <laughs> it's funny, my, my, my boy Blue, one time, you know... One of the kids is crying for their mom. I want my mom. And, and Blue's like three years old. He's looking at Sandy. He's going, there's your mom, dummy. What's wrong with you? And so then we had to explain to him, right? And so we'd like, we'd, we sit down with him and we're telling him, man, this is this cool thing about adoption and these kids didn't have a home and their parents didn't want them. And, and, and so God laid it on mommy and daddy's heart to, to adopt these kids and bring them into our family. And he starts crying. He starts weeping. Like, What's wrong, my boy? He goes, I want to be adopted. <laughs> Let me tell you, friends, 
We understand. Stop it, Deborah. It's you. <laughs> but the thing is this, if we, under, if we understood that, if we, under, if we understood the beauty of what God has done for us, we'd all be in that place. God, I want to be adopted. He has accepted us. Verse 6, there is nothing we can do to make ourselves more or less acceptable to God. More or less acceptable to God. God the Father has accepted us in Christ. That is our eternal position. God the Son, and we spoke about God the Father, God the Son, has redeemed us. Verse 7, means simply to purchase or to set free. To purchase or to set free. Free from the law, free from legalism, free from all that rubbish of, of, of having somebody tell us there's stuff I have to do before the cross or after the cross. We are free in Christ. Free from sin. Last part of verse 7. He has forgiven us. He has forgiven us. In the perfect, ultimate sacrifice of Jesus dying on the cross, the wrath of God has been fully satisfied. The wrath of God has been fully satisfied. I wish I could just spend a minute there, but I can't. We are fully forgiven. And the wrath of God has been satisfied for all time in Christ Jesus. One time sacrifice. We, we don't live under the frown of heaven anymore because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, the wrath of God has been satisfied. It hasn't been appeased for a minute. It has been fully satisfied. God will never be angry with us again. That's good news, friends. That's way good news. So he has chosen us. He has adopted us. He has accepted us. He has redeemed us. And he has forgiven us. Isn't that good news? Good news for me. And then the Bible says this. 13 and 14. Let me read it for you quickly. Gosh. I know our time always flies like this. Uh, Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance till the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. I've heard the seal explained like this. The seal is there. Seal on a, on a, on a jar of fruit keeps the bad stuff out and the good stuff in. I think there's a whole lot more to it than that if we open the scripture up. And it simply means this, the seal signifies a completed transaction. It's that old time wax seal. Okay, now we've settled the deal. We're going to stamp it. The deal is done. It implies ownership. It says, this is my seal that I'm going to put on that thing. It offers security and protection. It offers security and protection. 
when, when they rolled the, st- the, the, the stone over Jesus' tomb, it was sealed. And there were four guards stationed there. So the thing with that seal is it wasn't just about those four guards. It was about this thing. You break that seal, you are challenging the authority and the might of the whole Roman Empire. When God has sealed us, it is God himself, the Almighty, that has sealed us. It authenticates the transaction. And then it says this, it is given to us as a deposit. Old-fashioned old word, but I found out, we just bought a house a little while ago, and they talk about this thing. They say, we need some earnest money. I don't know if that's still a... Do you use it here in Illinois? In Colorado, they call it earnest money. You know, you got, we've got to make sure that you are serious about this deal. So you've got to give us this bunch of thousand dollars up front. My PTSD started kicking into overdrive with some of these things. Still a term used today, earnest. It's earnest. I need to know that you are serious. I need to know that you are serious, God, about this transaction. I know that you are serious about me being in Christ. I need to know you are serious about me having a future in Him. Here's the mark. I will show you how serious I am. I will deposit myself in you. What an incredible picture of how God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have purposed together in the gospel to ensure that we have every single thing we need. You have to carry that heart for people around us, friends. I went right off the deep end at 15, right off the deep end. My sister got saved about that time. My sister held me and prayed for me and would talk to me and would come and see me. For 10 years, I told her she was ridiculous. I told her she didn't know what she was talking about. I was so mean to my sister that my brother-in-law, who was also a believer, came to see me and said, you are such a jerk. I am stopping your sister from seeing you again. That's how mean I was to my sister. But my sister never gave up and prayed and held on and, and spoke and witnessed. And on a Friday night before a race, she would come and say, I know you're racing tomorrow. I'm praying for you. And I would say to her, are you stupid? You understand, this motorcycle is a piece of metal. It doesn't have a mother or a father. It goes where I point it. Well, that's not always true, and I've got the scars to prove it. But See, we can be mean to people and we can be ugly to people, but God is in that place where he is looking for us and he is looking for your friends and your family and your co-workers. He is looking. He is ready to pour out his love. He has done every single thing. What we have to make sure is that we are not the ones putting those barriers. I didn't think my dad could get saved. I lean evangelistically. I didn't think my dad could get saved. My, my dad grew up, and my dad was a complete savage, which is why I left home when I was 14 and never went back. But I got saved at 25 and started to build a relationship with my dad. And my dad was a hard, hard man. Could not use this word love. Would sign a birthday card to, to, my, to my mom after years and years of marriage. Regards, Mick. 
could not use that love, did not have a concept of love. He grew up with an alcoholic father that used to rip him out of bed at 3 o'clock in the morning and beat him. Did not have a concept of love. And I grew up with that. I responded to that, which is why I was gone at 14. Then I built a relationship with my dad, and I'm leading a church. We've planted a church. We moved to America, and my dad comes to visit us in Los Angeles. And I preach a message like this, and I throw out the net, and I'm like, standing up. If you want to get saved, if you want to make Jesus Lord and Savior of your life, please put up your hand. My dad put up his hand. He's standing this far in front of me. I'm like, you don't know what I just said. I'm like, nah. That can't be right. So I threw out the net again. I'm standing like this, looking at him. I'm like, if you want to make Jesus Lord, which means you have to obey all that he says, Lord and Savior, put up your hand. My dad goes like. (laughs) Jesus is looking, friends. The full weight and the might of of the Godhead is ready to demonstrate his love and his mercy and his favor and his grace upon us, upon our friends, upon our families. Let me tell you, if it's old news to you, it will be dull news when you try and share it. I I wake, like I said this morning, I woke up and where am I? I'm born on a farm and I'm comfortable in many of the major cities of the world because of the gospel. How did I get here? Where am I? I know who I am. It's not about who I am. It's about whose I am and about where I am in Christ. Let's stand together. Sorry, Stevie. You're up, That was messy, so if you need to tidy it up. Father, we love you. We are so overwhelmed, Lord, by your goodness and your mercy and your grace. Pray, Father, that by your Spirit you have stirred us this morning and lifted us about how much you love us and how much you've poured out and how much you've done for us. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit collaborating and working together to ensure this incredible salvation for us. You here this morning, friends, and you have not made that first step. We're separated by God, but God has made a way. And the only response from us is simply this. Yes, Lord, I believe you died for my sin. A faith response and repentance. I'm going to stop doing what I was doing by the grace of God. I know you will help me. You here this morning, friends, and you have not accepted Jesus Christ yet as your Lord and Savior. I would love an opportunity to pray for you. I don't want to drag this out or try and manipulate or talk you into it. I just simply want to say, you've not yet done it. I'd love to pray for you this morning. You raise your hand. Raise your hand. I'll pray for you right where you stand. Father, I pray 
for this church, that you would freshen the gospel to them, that you would freshen it, Lord, that you would renew it, that you would revive in them the beauty of the gospel, that they would carry it as a fragrance, that they would leave deposits of it wherever they go, the goodness and the love and the mercy and the grace of God. Stir it in us, Lord. Stir it in us, Lord. Stir the wonder again of what you've done for us. May the good news continue to be new news to us. May we be able to share the good news because we've understood that we have been recipients of the greatest news that has ever been written. Father, anoint your sons and your daughters here this morning for a gospel witness in this great city. And I pray those that are feeling a little insecure, those that are hurt and bruised, we know there's been some major things happening in our nation. Pray, Father, they would find their security this morning in Christ. That that position is settled, Lord. It's an eternal position. Colossians 3.3, your life is now hidden with God in Christ. That nothing can pluck us out, nothing can steal us out. We couldn't sneak out and we can't fall out by accident. We are in Christ. Bring healing and wholeness, Lord. Father, may we respond to the deposit of the Holy Spirit in us. God putting himself on deposit in our hearts that we might be drawn upwards into this great inheritance. Touch your sons and your daughters now, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, we pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you, my God. More of your Spirit, Lord. More of your Spirit to bring healing and wholeness. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.